Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Spheres of Influence. This is a show when we talk about those important things in our life, those actual spheres of influence, religion, politics, and culture. My name is Dennis Sanders, and I am your host. Uh, If you can, if you listen to this episode and like it, I hope that you will consider leaving a good review or rating. And um, also, I would love if you would share this episode with someone. It is not that always that easy these days to promote yourself on podcasts or basically anything. I, I It seems to be a lot harder than it was back in the day when I was writing blogs. So your ability to share these podcasts with a friend um, can be helpful. And leaving a review uh, makes it much more, makes this... Uh, podcast much more visible so that others can listen as well. So either way, I would be very appreciative if you would do either any of those for me. Today's episode is um, actually probably a, what is, is probably in a series of um, episodes on the Republican Party. Um, this one today will be what I've been calling a monologue, but they're really commentaries. And there will be a few more episodes that are commentaries. Um, I am working on some interviews, but people are busy. Uh, May is always seems to be a very busy month. So um, I'm working on two of those episodes. But uh, for now, there are commentaries. And that's what I'm doing this evening. So this evening, um, and I don't always know why I'm putting evening and all of that, because you're going to listen to this whatever time, but for this episode, I do want to focus on the Republican Party. I want to start with the um, an election in Texas. Uh, there was a man by the name of Michael Wood. He was a candidate that was uh, running for an open seat um, in Texas. Uh, he was, this was a seat that was uh, held by someone, um, a Republican in the suburbs of the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, and he uh, died in February from complications of COVID. Uh, Michael Wood was, I think, your stereotypical Republican, uh, fairly conservative, he got a lot of buzz among never Trumpers because he very much opposed Donald Trump and his agenda. None of that got him very far because he got about 3% of the vote. The person that got the top spot and will go on to a runoff is the wife of that former congressman. And she got an endorsement from Donald Trump. Second news bite I want to add is that this past weekend, uh, the junior senator from the state of, of Utah, Mitt Romney, was back home. And he was at the state convention that I was believe held in Salt Lake City. And he was booed by the crowd. Now, of course, this was the guy who ran for president and was the nominee in 2012. He had been a governor of Massachusetts. He was the one that basically saved the 2002 Winter Olympics that were being held in Salt Lake City. 
And he was booed because he was not loyal to Donald Trump. The thing that was, I think, a moment of courage and bravery was that he didn't back down or cower from them. He was very resolute in his defense of who he was, who he is, and what he believes in. Third person I want to talk about, and who's probably going to be the person that makes up most of this podcast episode, will be Liz Cheney, the representative from Wyoming, the daughter of former Vice President Dick Cheney. She is the number three Republican in the House. She is part of the House leadership. And there's a good chance that she won't have that position very much longer. The reason that she might lose all of that is because she has refused to stop talking about the January 6th insurrection and about the former president's um, continued lying about the recent presidential election. She is basically one of the few uh, people elected that is willing to call out the lies of the former president, who is basically saying that the Democrats stole the election from him. She is willing to do something that the rest of the leadership doesn't want to do, and that is tell the truth. That makes them uncomfortable, and it frustrates Trump. And so Kevin McCarthy, Steve Scalise, they've had enough. For them, it would be better if she was booted from her position for the good of the party, of course. Now, many of the 10 Republicans who voted to impeach the president back in January have all faced some type of challenge in some way. Many of them have faced censure motions. I'm pretty sure most of them will be primaried next year by Trumpist candidates. The strange thing is, the people that you would think in normal times would come under some scrutiny by the Republican leadership are somehow able to get away with things. The Republican leadership has nothing to say about Matt Gates, who, as far as we know, probably paid for sex for, with someone who is underage. And then there is, of course, that winner, Marjorie Taylor Greene, who seems to always spout off some bizarre conspiracy theories. And who can forget Paul Gosser, the representative from Arizona, who seems to like to pal around with white supremacists. House leader Kevin McCarthy will not talk about these people. But the one woman who seems to have an ounce of integrity, oh yeah, we're going to bring her down. So I was listening um, yesterday to a podcast, one of my favorite podcasts, and I would uh, consider that you listen to it. The podcast is Politics, Politics, Politics by Justin Robert Young. And he said something that was harsh, but yet it was the truth and it made sense. And his belief is that the main result, the main point of that um, the election last weekend where Michael Wood did not um, have a very good showing has basically revealed that there is no viable path for a Trump critic in the GOP. And Justin goes even farther to say that the only place today for that is a place for a Trump critic 
it are is the Democrats. I don't think that I'm going to be joining to become a Democrat anytime soon, even though I have a lot of friends who are Democrats. My husband is a Democrat. That said, I think Justin is right. I think that never-Trumpers have reached a dead end. There is no place for never-Trumpers in the party anymore. Liz Cheney's ouster reveals that you can't be a Trump critic and be a Republican in good standing. Donald Trump has bought the Republican Party. He owns it. It's his party. It's no one else's. If you don't follow what he wants you to follow, if you don't believe what he wants you to believe, then you don't have a place in the party anymore. What he wants from you is your undying loyalty. And at the very least, what he wants is for you to shut up. That he is the one that is talking, and really he is the only one that should be talking. I think that all of this, what's becoming, what's happening to the Republican Party, the fact that maybe never Trumpers have, don't have a place in the party anymore, that means that we are becoming more and more polarized puts America on a dangerous path. And it makes me wonder. It makes me wonder if those of us who were against Trump were too slow. That we were too slow in responding to Trump back in 2016. That we didn't spend enough time trying to do things that would have mounted a much more effective opposition sooner. Back then, he wasn't able to take over the entire party, but now he has control over it. And there is no room for anyone to do anything to challenge him. Everyone is in his thrall. And it doesn't matter that they're losing in some ways. It doesn't matter that they have lost basically Congress and the presidency, because the reality is they're doing rather well. Liberals and never-Trumpers alike, throughout 2020, were very certain that this year would be disastrous for the GOP and Congress. And let's face it, it, it made some sense. Trump was a disaster in his handling of the coronavirus pandemic. So, of course, Congress is going to pay for this, right? Nope. It didn't help that in some ways you had Democrats who decided that this was going to be a good time to talk about defunding the police, which was not an issue that people were talking or interested in. And yet they pushed ahead. But and because of, you know, not being willing to kind of, I think, put forward a better agenda instead of some of the wackadoodle stuff that the Democrats put forward, the Republicans are set to win back the House in 2022. And let's face it, if Kevin McCarthy or someone else becomes Speaker, they're going to be beholden to former President Trump. And Lord knows the crazy stuff that will be coming out of Congress when the GOP is back in power. Just as an aside, it was, and this is uh, maybe a sign of what has happened to our party, to the, to the GOP, 
or to my party. The person that could re replace Liz Cheney, it looks very well, will be Elise Stefanik of New York. And in many ways, she is the exact opposite of Cheney in many ways. Um, she started out as a never-Trumper, and I think a lot of people who are Trump critics like myself and others were really hopeful that she was someone with some integrity, that she was going to be a good fighter on this issue. But instead, what we found out is that she saw where the wind was blowing, so she decided to defend the president. First, in his first um, impeachment, and then now she is standing behind the big lie. Now, she's less conservative than Cheney, which, you know, I'm a squish. It doesn't personally bother me. But I think that what's interesting is that what it shows is how much the normal things of politics don't matter in this, in Trump's GOP. Ideo ideology doesn't matter. Politics doesn't matter. Policy doesn't matter. What matters is being a sycophant. And that is what Stefanik is. She is basically a hack. And she's willing to do whatever she's willing to do to be in the president's good graces. I think all of this puts America in a very bad spot. I think we will, we, there are people who want to think that Donald Trump is kind of fading from the political scene. We like to think that because he is no longer president, we are in the clear, that we have dodged a bullet. That the worst that happened was on January 6th. But I think it's not over. I think we are at risk. I think danger is coming down the pike. Now, there are some people that want to set all of this up as a battle between good and evil. And I know people who basically say that all of us who are critics should all, all the non-crazy people should just join the Democrats because, you know, of course, because we're not crazy, the Democrats will beat the Republicans every time. Except when they don't. The year, this year, or last year, 2020, was the year that Republicans should have lost badly. And the fact is, they did okay. And the fact is, depending on whatever the situation is, people are still willing to vote for parties if they don't like the other party. And there are enough of those people that they can make a difference. We forget that President Biden, while he may have won the Electoral College, he won by several million votes. Really, he only won by maybe a few thousand votes because of a few tens of thousands of votes, because had those votes in a few states switched, he would not be president. And I think when you have this kind of very polarized part uh, politics where you have, quote unquote, the good people in one party and the bad people in another party, that's not healthy. And I think, in fact, it's going to it could destroy democracy. You know, I always have to remind people Hitler did not come to power via a coup. He was elected. He was chosen to be chancellor. 
The conservatives in the Reichstag believed that giving him the chancellorship meant that they were going to be able to control him. And that did not turn out like they planned. People are still going to vote for a party, even if we consider it dangerous. And there are enough people in our country that they will vote for the Republicans. So putting all of our eggs in one basket means that the chance that people will vote for the GOP rises. And that's not helpful. Do we really want to have a place where every election becomes this election that is, decides the fate of our, not just of our, of our republic all the time? I don't want that. I wouldn't like to go back to just having elections being elections. And once they're done, we can kind of go back to normal, not worry that tomorrow we could become a dictatorship. And I also think that putting our eggs in one basket isn't helpful for a lot of other reasons. Because, you know, the Democrats are not at this point as kind of moderate as they used to be. I think the, Repub the, the progressives are the ones that are on the rise right now. You don't hear very much about the moderates. They are the, the progressives are the ones that are going to have the power. And that will make it harder for people who don't fit that to want to be in that party. All of this sets up what I think is going to be a dangerous decade. The 2020s are going to be a decade of political upheaval, and that could well lead to violence. I don't think that we're headed towards a civil war, but I think that we are going to head towards a lot of violence. Where I think sometimes we're headed, or could be headed, is is um, found in the book that was, came out earlier, late last year by David French, um, called Divided We Fall. And he kind of provides a map of where we could head up. And it's not a war, but it's a case where the United States divorces itself. In one scenario, liberal states basically leave. And in another scenario, it's conservative states. Whatever is happening, we're at a point right now that's not good. Where people on opposite sides do not see each other simply as um, people who disagree. They see them as evil, as people who are out to destroy the other side. We are not in a healthy place. I think that the time to turn around the GOP is gone, at least for now. Now, the writer Peter, Peter Wenner had wrote something in The Atlantic recently where he talks about the fact that he believes that the GOP is a threat to democracy, and I totally agree with that. He adds something that is rather interesting. He says, basically, that unless the GOP turns around, this is what is going to happen. That's an interesting phrase of words because to say that you are hoping that, turn, that things will turn around means that you believe that there are people who are willing to do something that will have the power to turn things around. 
but I don't know if there's anyone in the party anymore that can pull the party away from the brink. Most of those people have been banished. They have been kicked out of the party. There really is no one left to change things for the better. And even if there are people who are willing to fight the good fight, we have to remember something else that's also a challenge. The reason we have Donald Trump is not because he simply bullied his way into the party, though that that is what he did, but it is also the fact that voters put him there. Voters in the primary put him there. And we have to remember that 75 million people did vote for him. And I'm not saying that all of them are bad people. But there were a lot of people that voted for him because they wanted him to be the president. Because they wanted, quote unquote, a fighter that could destroy the other side that they believed was evil. I wish I could say that things will turn around. But I don't know. We're so divided, and I don't see change happening. I want to believe that there are some um, alternatives. I think people like myself who are Trump critical have to kind of figure out where we're going to go in the future. There will be some people that will go and maybe try to create a third party. There will be some that will become Democrats. And I have to add that that's okay. But it still doesn't really help us. I mean, are are any of those choices going to really help us to challenge what the GOP is becoming? And I don't know. As I think about all of this, I really long for the days when I was a teenager going back in the 1980s. I long basically for Ronald Reagan. Now, I know that there were people who didn't like him. There were people that called him everything under the sun. That includes my parents, who were very much strong Democrats. And back then, since I was their kid, I pretty much took on their ideology, and I didn't think much of him. But looking back, I really long for those days. I long for the days of Ronald Reagan, because Reagan believed in democracy. He believed in America. I think he wanted to call people to their higher self, to be better than who they were. That is the opposite of of Donald Trump. He does not call us to our higher selves. In fact, he calls us to our lower selves, to our debased self. Something has happened in our electorate. Maybe it's the pain of dealing with the uncertainty of life, where there are jobs that are scarce and their futures are dim. Whatever it is, something has made us turn away from that kind of hope of Reagan to the dystopian reality that is Donald Trump. It's hard for me to see if anything or anyone is going to come to rescue us. As I've said before, I think that we are heading for some very, very rough days. 
days that I think are going to make January 6th looks like a kid's tea party. Now, I agree with our current President Biden that it is always a bad thing to bet against America. So I, I do have to hold out hope for new leaders, for new groups, for people to to change and that all of this can re lead to a renewal of American governance. But I also think that the road to that hopeful future is going to have to go through a very rough and dangerous patch. I wish that I could give you happier news. I always want to believe that, you know, if we work hard, if we try harder, we will solve these things. And maybe, again, if we had taken a stronger protest against Trump in 2016, maybe that would have changed. Maybe Donald Trump would have not been able to take over the GOP. But I think that too many people were blindsided. They didn't really know how to respond. And it seems like when we were finally able to figure it out, it was too late. More and more of people who were good Republicans have basically, and were willing to stand up to Trump and say the truth, have basically been run out of Congress. And I think that that's going to happen to Liz Cheney. You know, I wanted to believe that maybe there is still hope. Maybe there is still hope to change things, but there isn't a viable way for anyone who is a Trump critic to challenge the Trump hegemony. I think that that ship has sailed because Michael Wood is someone that in other times would have been a shoe in. He was fairly conservative. He fit the district that he lived that he lived in. And if the party couldn't accept him, what hope is there? You know, what will this party, the GOP, look like when the last person with integrity is gone? We are about to find out. It is going to cause a lot of disruption. It's going to cause a lot of heartache. I pray to God that I'm wrong. I pray that someone or something will come forward that will provide hope, that will provide a new way of doing things, that will bring people together instead of pushing them apart. But I don't think that that person's to be had, at least not right now. Maybe in the future, maybe five or ten years down the road, that person will emerge. But for now, that person ain't coming. And we are in big trouble. The reality is we may already be in very big trouble. We just don't want to admit it. America is not in a good place. What I want to say to my two friends, to Trump critical Republicans, but also to my many Democratic friends around the country, especially those in Minneapolis, is... To find ways to be relevant. To find ways to listen to people who don't have the same background or opinions that you, you do. That 
maybe we can, if we can reach out to people, to be willing to listen to them, to have conversations with them, maybe, maybe we can pull ourselves back from the brink. I'm hopeful, but I am not optimistic because the truth is there are dark days ahead. So this is what I have to tell you, my friends. Buckle up. And in the meantime, let's tell each other, regardless of if that person agrees with you or don't, that we love each other. If we are people of faith, let us get on our knees and pray for God's mercy. And hopefully we can find a way to avoid the catastrophe I think we're headed towards. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think that there's going to be a lot of heartache. So, on that cheery note, I will conclude this broadcast. I want to say thank you for all of you who have taken the time to contact me. And thanks for those who have left reviews um, or, or, or uh, ratings. And again, if you are able to do that, please leave either a four or five star review or write out, um, leave a, a four or five star rating or write a review or do both. That would be incredibly helpful. When you do that, it makes the, the broadcast more visible to people and um, a lot easier for new people to find out about this podcast. Um, also wanted to let you all know that I have put up a subscription link at um, the podcast. It's really something I'm not pushing it. You know, if you want to give, that's fine. Um, I think I'm just wanting to test this out. But, you know, if you are, if you like what you hear and um, are willing to donate, are able to donate, they, the donations are helpful. So uh, there will be a few more commentaries coming up. Um, one is dealing with uh, being a pastor um, during uh, COVID and why there are so many people leaving the ministry. And then I'm also doing one about the concept of Black is Beautiful and how that might have changed over the last 40 or 50 years. So those are some of the commentaries coming up. As I said, there are some other interviews actually with other people that should come up later in the month. Um, so just to let you know what's coming up, thank you for listening. Uh, take care. Have a good rest of this week. And Godspeed, dear friends. Goodbye.